do we consider this a good week for uh American hegemony in in sport or bad? Because on the one hand, the House of Saud, peace be upon them, <laughs> were able to effectuate a merger uh against the PGA's will with the PGA uh to the tune of god knows how much oil money and yet on the flip side Lionel Messi is coming to Miami <laughs> did you see that Messi Messi's the, the tickets for Messi's uh first I'm sorry match. are you are you talking about soccer is it, I, am, right I am I am I'm, I we, there's nothing there's nothing you can possess that I cannot take away Dr. Jones <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I if I'd be hard pressed to to pick Lionel Messi out of a lineup of of <laughs> of soccer hooligans. I, I have no idea. And and oh, on God. the the only thing I'll say on and look, I, I seriously, seriously, you didn't you didn't follow. This, I mean, even at all, just one of the most dramatic, like you know, international sports stories of all time in terms of. Him. Wait, a, wait, a dramatic like like fall on the ground and no, and, no, like and, like and, like the like the roll little around in fake pain, dramatic, definitively, definitively as the goat against that pretty boy. Like, I mean, come on, you know. It's... I'll just say, I mean, in all seriousness, I'll say that I am a nationalist when it comes to soccer <laughs> slash football, and I lived in. But, I but went can you feel and... the same? But, uh, but wait, wait, wait! But you can't feel the same way about golf. I mean, I I'm independently a fan a fan of golf. I mean, I'm, what I'm when I say I'm a nationalist about soccer, I mean I get into the World Cup, I get into it when 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 it's an Olympic exhibition sport or or competitive sport. But like, yeah, am I going to give two bleeps about MLS? I'm not I'm not there yet. Sorry. Maybe, I, I just maybe <laughs> no 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 no. You're not you're not supposed to. It's 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 an exhibition sport. It's simply an opportunity for for American. Uh, it's it's an opportunity for. American soccer fans, by which I mean, are you know the 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 vast diaspora of Latinx <laughs> that yeah. exists in America to uh, have a chance to see their favorite stars. Uh, that's primarily the function that. It, and I got super. Look, I got super into it. I, I I got super into it when we we beat Mexico in the big thing that I can't remember the name of last year. <laughs> the big, well, it was I a big thing, it. clearly. It wasn't the World Cup. It was the other one. It was the, it was the Americas. So, you know, so, but, uh, yeah, but, but, it's but situational. And, and everybody was fine with that when it was uh, Middle Eastern oil money financing it. So, you know, yes. what's wrong with the, the, the golf thing other than, yeah. you know. Well, well, the other thing is, it's like, you're going to pick your poison. You know, are you watching, you know, if you watch the NBA playoffs, you're watching a place that is just completely in bed with China. And so it's like, okay, come on, you know, like, uh, are, are we going to balance one against the other in terms of their human rights violations here? You know, it's, it's a, you just have to kind of take the fact that this is all like deeply corrupt and that like the, the only, the only way to find sort of purity in American sport is to get down to like the minor league level where it's owned by like a car dealer, 
you know, and that kind of thing. Um, and nothing, nothing says purity and integrity like like, like a slick back hair car dealer. <laughs> yes. Well, no, no. Look, so, if... Someone someone just wrote this essay actually pretty pretty recently about how they were wrong about the villains in Friday Night Lights because they were like, actually, that local sleazy car dealer is is kind of you know a a, a river unto his people. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, um, the, well, look. The only thing I'll say about about the pga thing is if i were advising those guys the argument is that this was an existential level threat from live that live was going to bleed them dry first of all you know compete them they have way more money to throw at the problem uh on, on the course and off in the courtrooms as well and that you know the argument here is that you'd rather have them inside the tent pissing out than outside the tent. Pissing they in. they were going to spend them into oblivion, and the amount yep. of of stuff that would come out that would look bad, especially from this DOJ uh, investigation, uh, you know, I think would have been uh, really uh, really detrimental to golf's image. And so, you know, look, they they cut a deal, but you know, for from Joe Biden saying that he was going to make MBS the pariah of the world to today uh i mean <laughs> it really is a big big win for the house of sod you got you got to give them the credit <laughs> although the only thing i will say in addition to it is that it this is not over and that the next couple of years i mean the the it, it it you could you could use view it as a fighting withdrawal or as the opening move of a more complex chess gambit i mean especially just knowing the players who were involved in the deal and and the equities involved there like i don't think this is the last of this story mm-hmm. um so it's it, it there, there could be a lot more to it john we've been discussing two sports that you have no uh interest in so i but i, I want to give you a chance to weigh in simply on simply on the mbs factor oh, yeah look as a son from the of the midwest you know it's it's not a sport unless somebody's being hit um, but you know, look. It's, well, maybe it's, they can introduce that in 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 live. I mean, you know, come on, uh, Sandler rules. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I mean, if if they can sort of XFL golf and you know add that sort of Happy Gilmore esque quality to it, look, if if they're willing to do a cup snake, I, I can get behind it. In, in, until that day happens, um, look, I, I think the whole situation is sort of indicative, right? Of 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 sports that you know, or even leagues that we thought sort of belonged to us. Um, you know, and I, I think that the, you know, the NBA being the kind of the perfect example of this, you mm. know, are now global and, you know, we have a lot of people and there's a lot of money here, but, you know, if you look at the influence of China, right, where, you know, you had teams like, you know, the, the, the wizards that were censoring paying fans, you know, highlighting concerns about, you know, you know, Uyghurs and things like that. Um, you know, this just seems like a piece of that. And, you know, for forever, you know, MBS is not being, you know, a, you know, upstanding citizen. Um, uh, you know, it, it seems like this is just continue. You know, it's it, it's he is he has been better building a coalition of people, I guess, that don't like him ideologically than you know than China necessarily has. We need to ask the Joker whether he considers himself a citizen of the world before I can weigh in, <laughs> <laughs> weigh in on that. Um, this is Thunderdome, uh, and so we are going to be talking about the 2024 presidential stakes. Uh, gentlemen, there's been a lot of of stuff uh, that has gone on in the past week. We have plenty of material this week to delve into. Uh, but I wanted to start with this uh, tweet from our friend Patrick Ruffini, the pollster over at Echelon, who put out this question uh, from their most recent omnibus, which I think was a couple of weeks ago. 
that I think is really interesting because it kind of tells the story about the dynamics between the top two candidates in the race on the Republican side in a way that I think punctures a lot of the assumptions that people might have. Uh, and the question was, do you want to see the GOP move more toward the center or more toward the right in 2024? And if you were considering both Trump and DeSantis, and DeSantis meaning like you're you're part of that group that both of them are trying to win, uh, the, the uh, percentage that answered move the party right was 53%, move it to the center was 31 Considering Trump and not DeSantis, right was 43, center was 40. Considering DeSantis, not Trump, center 56, right 26. So there's this this assumption is built into a lot of the coverage that I watch and that I read that DeSantis is kind of occupying the Ted Cruz lane uh, versus Trump. Uh, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, he has Ted Cruz people on his staff. You know, you can see the kind of, oh, he's more conservative in this kind of sense. But really what this kind of tells you is that DeSantis's base wants a more centrist candidate. Uh, and the people considering him clearly are considering him to be more centrist, perhaps because of tone, uh, perhaps because, you know, he doesn't have the same kind of baggage that Trump does. But it's not the same dynamic that we really saw in 2016. Uh, Dan or John, what were your takes on this? Well, I, I think, think the, I start by, by almost, I, I think it's an interesting question that Patrick asked, um, but I sort of question part of the premise, right? What, and I think this is something I've thought for, for a while, whether in the presidential or congressional or just sort of the national context of what the right and center even mean anymore. Um, you know, if I think so much of it ends up being tone and sort of degree of antagonism to uh, groups uh, that don't feel, you know, you know, that the Republicans or the Republican base don't necessarily feel treat them fairly, whether it's the media or academia or whatever. Uh, look, I think Donald Trump could go out there tomorrow and say, you know, I'm going to we need to raise Social Security benefits. We need to spend more on Medicare. I'm going to punch the face of anyone who gets in the way of that. People, you know, it would be the next day. It would be, you know, this is the ultra MAGA position is to is to you know make these entitlements more expensive. So, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't think that it's it's necessarily like sort of ideology, you know, on that like left to right scale that everybody had thought about it forever. I think it really is more about tone, right? Is it's you know the you know Pat Toomey, you know, for, you know former U.S. senator from Pennsylvania was certainly you know, one of the most conservative members of the Senate, uh, but came across as basically the the accountant that coaches your kids, you know, t-ball team and was seen as less conservative just because of, you know, the, the, the theatrics around that. So I don't know. I don't know what these numbers mean. I, I think there is a case to be made that, you know, the DeSantis could build, you know, from sort of the center out. I also think that if you look at I don't know if it was from from Patrick or if it was Nate Cohn over at the the New York Times uh, that if you look at where the slippage has been, um, it's been from very conservative voters that you know were Trump, then DeSantis, and DeSantis high watermark, and back over to Trump. Um, so if if you think about that, that's a that's a movable group then, right? If they've been moving in the last six months, what's to say that they can't move back? So I think all of this stuff, you know, I, I go back to I can't remember if I said it last week, but you know, one of the my I think favorite quotes of American politics in the last few years, you know, now New York City Mayor Eric Adams was, you know, primaries are won by people on social security and not on social media. 
you know, whether you're Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, you need to continue to be who you are and not worry about what, what Twitter says. Yeah, and I, I would just say, you know, to, right, to an extent, it's old news, right, that Trump's base is actually more moderate than most, certainly in the in the media or the sort of uh, left elite, you know, like like to think. I mean, that's old news, right? We knew that in 2016. But but for DeSantis, it's it's good news for him that his base is coalitional, as it were, right? You can you can construct that base, right? It makes sense. You get you've got you've got some people who love the owning the lib stuff, the Disney stuff. You've got some people who are desperate anybody but Trump folks who are along for the ride because they think he's the sharpest, you know, uh, nearest weapon at hand. And then you've got some sort of competence governance first people who see him as just an effective executive. Um, and then some, like you said, some sort of cruise types who are in a kind of mainstream conservative lane who just like, I think that he's not um, uh, Donald Trump too, to a certain extent, but also, you know, there's just, there's some similarities in, in um, emphasis and tone there. And, and as John said, you know, it really is a tonal battle. It's a, the, the division isn't, I mean, that's the kind of surprising thing, right? It's like, there are a lot of moderates who are for Trump, moderate Republicans, and there are a lot of moderates who are like really strongly anti-Trump and it, it aligns more with almost sort of like psychological factors, like agreeability or the sort of things that would be measured by a personality test. Right. And um, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how that all shakes out, but I, again, I think it's good news for DeSantis that his base is not ideological or um, one thing. It is already coalitional, right? Because a general election candidate is going to need to put together a winning coalition um, and, you know, you can't, you can't win, you know, on, on, as a conservative purist necessarily, even Reagan uh, couldn't win as a conservative purist. Um, mm. And so, you know, coalition building and coalitional politics are an important part. So I'd say in in that respect, it's good news for him. You know, uh, so we've seen uh, a good bit of DeSantis out there on the trail. You know, he's gone to, you know, he went from Iowa to New Hampshire to South Carolina. He's, uh, you know, beating the drum and certainly more active. And and I think there's been, you know, a fair bit of footage out there now about him interacting with people and uh, and also dodging the media and even being rude to them in some respects. Um, so I, I think that, you know, we're seeing him kind of have this this slow burn approach that is, uh, uh, you know, clearly going to have a lot of investment behind it and a lot of people knocking on doors. Um, but it, it seems like to me something that it's going to be difficult to assess until we have a little bit more time with it. Um, now, uh, the flip side of that, uh, I think that we can, you know, look at some of the other decisions that were made in the last week uh, and uh, come to some quicker conclusions about uh, their their various abilities to to compete. Uh, and let's start with Chris Christie. I I was on set on Fox, uh, waiting for him to stop talking uh, last night uh, on Special Report there was an expectation that he was going to announce that he was running earlier in his speech. Uh, and he didn't, he took more than uh, 20 minutes of network time uh, before getting to that point. Uh, and he was going through all sorts of history. And his message was to think big instead of thinking small. Uh, I don't know if he has any advisors around him who said that that would be a, a good thing to do to troll uh, the late night hosts, or perhaps uh, the former president himself by leaning into the size question. Uh, but I am curious as to both of your reactions to uh, him getting into the race and, and what he can possibly do, if anything, uh, to try to make it to the debate stage and, and actually have a significant impact 
John, I know that you're uh, you've paid attention to to sort of Christie's uh, attempt at making a comeback politically for a while now. What are your thoughts on his speech and 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 his entrance? Yeah, look, I I think that the Christie theory of the case is is one part that he seems to really believe, and one that I think he has to to say out loud. I think what he believes is that he is on a mission to you know do damage to Donald Trump's candidacy for you know a, a you know the slights that he feels real or imagined you know since he. You know, opted out of the race in 2016 to, you know, endorse then, you know, candidate Trump. I think the other part that he's saying of, you know, I have to beat Donald Trump and then I'm going to win. I think the win part, right, if you're trying to, I believe the threshold now that the RNC is going to use is 1% in, in national polls or, you know, in the sort of the early states. And and maybe Christie's got enough sort of latent uh, name ID, to, you know, to be able to hit that plus 40,000 donors. Most people aren't going to want to put money behind a candidate that's saying like, hey, I'm going to go out there and basically, you know, strap a vest in my chest and, you know, pull the cord. Right. I think you need to have some sort of, you know, hey, we can win this sort of thing. Right. Any candidate, even if you're talking about somebody running in, you know, the core of New York City, you have to you have to at least convince yourself or say out loud you think you're going to win to get other people to buy in, too. I think what I think, you know, and we talked about this last week, I think what Christie brings and I agree with those who who's, who've stated, and I think Ben, you've made this point that it's just as easy to see Christie, you know, turn his guns onto you know DeSantis or somebody else. But you know, it 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 sort of calls back a little bit to you know, and I feel like that you know we've moved past the, this you know era of prestige uh, TV. You know, we're in the succession or post succession era, but you know, in Game of Thrones, where you know, you have you know Tyrion slap the king and thunder doesn't come down to to you know smite him dead on the spot. That if Chris Christie is able to get on a debate stage and Donald Trump is there and Christie goes at him, as as we know Christie is capable of doing, even if it doesn't cause enormous damage to Trump, how do other candidates react? Or if you're Ron DeSantis, are you going to let Chris Christie out tough guy you that he's willing to go to go at Trump, but you're not going to? So I think that dynamic of how, how other candidates recalibrate uh, based on Christie, but I think Christie's theory of the case is essentially correct. You know, Trump has been sitting at for the last few months somewhere between fifty and fifty-five percent of polling. You know, of, of voters that want to support him. Yeah, that's that's a lot, and no one else is is you know, DeSantis is in the twenties, and no one else is you know even high single digits. So Trump is in a commanding position. I don't think it's a, but I don't think it's a completely insurmountable one. Right? He's not at seventy percent. He's not at eighty percent. Uh, you know, there's there's still about half of Republican voters that aren't sold yet on him, and we're still in in early days. So if if Christie is able to inject some of this into the the bloodstream of of American politics, and if some of these other candidates begin have have to reckon with how Christie is going to interact with the the Trump campaign, which is you got to go through Trump, you can't go around him. Like I said last week in this in the 1980s video game, Trump is the final boss. If you can beat him and keep the party more or less together. If Joe Biden is the guy on the other side of the stage, I feel good about where Republicans are. But you got to go through Trump if you want to get there. So I think Christie may not be the guy to do it, but he might be the guy to show you how you do it. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I just cannot I'm I, I'm not convinced yet. And I haven't seen any evidence yet that this isn't just a personal vendetta for Christie. And it's just a continuation of the tit for tat between him um and jared jared kushner right over mm -hmm. you know you prosecuted my dad i'm not going to let you be attorney general 
Um, I mean, that especially, you know, the whole New Hampshire-driven aspect of it. I mean, this is a guy who famously, at least famously in our little nerdy world, went all in on New Hampshire, held more events there than any other candidate, promptly finished six and dropped out of the race, and Curb Your Enthusiasm stood next to Trump and endorsed him, right? Like we talked about last week. So, you know, he's going back to this New Hampshire first strategy. You know, he is... You know, he, he is something, you know, he's an effective communicator. Again, we talked about that. I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. But I haven't seen enough to convince me that it isn't just about that. And then, of course, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's to an extent captured by his advisors, who we know are incentivized in all the most perverse ways to convince him, you know, that he's got a shot. And I think that speech, especially that first 20-minute chunk you're talking about, is sort of indicative of that kind of thinking. I mean, that's, that is so not a Christie thing to discourse on the, on the ancient Greeks for 10 minutes at the beginning. Of the <laughs> I, I wondered, I joked off, I joked off air, uh, you know, wait a minute, is this, did we get a Boris Johnson feed in here for a second? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not him at all. He's a very smart guy, but he's not a guy who's, you know, who whiles away his hours with his nose deep in a, in, 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 in you know, decline and fall of the Roman empire. Yeah. Um, um, so I, I, I just, I, I just, um, <clears throat> I feel like this is entirely dependent on whether he gets on that stage or not and is able to have an impact. And that's really the only question with him. Uh, uh, because if he doesn't, then, you know, this was all for naught. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think, you know, there's there's so much regret, I think, kind of shot through both the people who are running this time and the people who aren't. Um, you know, with in between Scott and Nikki Haley, you know, they were famously in that picture with uh, Marco Rubio about, you know, is this the future of the Republican Party uh, that happened, you know, back in like 2015. And, you know, I think there's regret there. I think there's regret on Rubio's part that maybe he ran too early. Um, you know, he certainly has learned a lot of lessons and shifted a lot in the time since then on, on a lot of different political things. I think that he maybe feels like he was listening to the wrong people. And then, of course, you have the decision by... Ted Cruz not to run this time, which I think is is really beneficial, mostly to uh, DeSantis uh, in terms of of opening things up. It's just interesting because I think that there's some part of Christie that is forever locked into that I missed my moment uh, thing about 2012, and uh, and it's still you know there, there's that there's that way of sort of seeing someone who still can kind of do it, uh, but really can't the same way that they used to. Uh, go out there for one more try. And I feel like that's going to be a lot of what he has in terms of the, the coming weeks and months. He's um, the Lionel Messi of the political world. <laughs> Did that work? Did that <laughs> reference work? I'm just, I just threw it up there. <laughs> he was like, never as good as Messi, but yes. <laughs> um, look, I think it's, I think it's more the George, an aging George Foreman that, you know, okay. not quick, but look, I think if Chris Christie can tag you, it's still going to hurt. Yeah. Um, uh, let's uh, let's talk about somebody who didn't run from New Hampshire, and that's uh, Chris Sununu, who came out and announced a little earlier than I think some of us expected uh, that he was not going to be running, uh, inspiring uh, this truth from one Donald J. Trump. Uh, Rhino Chris Sununu stated his in his fake opinion, I don't really get that, published in the Washington Compost, I'm not running for president in 2024, beating Trump is more important. No, he's not running for president because he's polling at zero, has no chance of winning. People of New Hampshire have gotten wise to Chris Sununu. They no longer like or respect him. I never liked him, but I always did whatever he asked for the state because I wanted to help New Hampshire, and I did, exclamation point. Uh, that has 15,000 uh, likes. 
which does not seem like a lot to me, to be honest. Um, Chris Sununu is obviously one of the most popular uh, politicians in the country, if you look at the uh, polling in terms of, of uh, his level of popularity in New Hampshire and uh, and has obviously had a lot of success there, but he decides not to run. Uh, there's an expectation that he will throw his support behind whoever is the 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 most uh, likely non-Trump candidate uh, in anticipation of having some kind of impact in his state. Dan, do you think that that's going to have any kind of impact or or is are we kind of past the point where these types of endorsements really matter? I think we we talked about this offline I feel like a couple of weeks ago and I just I don't see it. I think the I think the Democrats there's a little bit more juice left in that old way of doing things just because of the sort of organizational dynamics of the party, the history, the, again the personality types of the people who are caucus goers and and primary voters on that side. You know, it's a little I think I I think I use the slightly uncouth Sunni Shia metaphor when talking about this with you. It's like, you know, the Shia listen to their Ayatollahs and the Sunni are more sort of, you know, there's, there's less of a power at the top. And it's more sort of do your own thing, mosque to mosque. And I think that there's a there's a kind of relevant structure there, Republican versus Democrat. I just don't see a ton of value in institutional, you know, endorsements from institutional politicians. They might, I think, it might you know matter a little bit about the around the margins, but it's neither necessary or sufficient, I think, to get anybody over the line. It's certainly not like a Clyburn in South Carolina situation, which is, I think, the example we were initially talking about. So I, you know, again, yes, yeah, Sununu, very, very popular. Independents can vote in New Hampshire primaries, right? I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't quote me on that. So yeah. there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of an element there, um, you know. So might help around the margins, but it's not going to be a game changer. John, do you have any thoughts on Sununu's choice? Look, I, I think what's um, I think what's most heartening about Sununu's choice is that he actually made it. Right, that uh, you have everyone else that doesn't have a path to victory. Uh, that's, you know, the number of these candidates that are getting in and Sununu understands what his goal is, right, which is to deny Donald Trump uh, the presidential nomination, whether he has any ability to help impact that, right, determined to be determined. But you know, I was really disappointed when Sununu didn't run uh, it against uh, Maggie Hassan in, in 2022. Um, you know, I thought that was, you know, potential flip for Republicans with him as the nominee, but only with him as the nominee. And not only did he do that, but was you know talking about why would anyone want to be in the Senate, which, while understandable, is probably you know if you're the National Party is not what you want to hear when you're trying to recruit a candidate yeah. in a competitive state. Um, at this point, you know Sununu basically reading the tea leaves and being realistic and not engaging in a vanity run, I think, is kind of refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that that's what I like about. It. I'm curious to see if he decides to run for re-election or not because it sounds like he's he's on the fence about that. But look, this is a guy that's been extremely successful in a very competitive state. Uh, I know Donald Trump is of the opinion, I guess, from his truth that uh, he he made Sununu. But look, 2022, in what was a less than stellar year for Republicans, um, you know, in a tough state when Republicans lost both House seats, Chris Sununu pulled 57% of the general election vote. So mm-hmm. he may not be, I think it's, no, he may not be a popular figure nationally, but in New Hampshire, he is, and his family yeah. is. You know whether he's got a machine behind him to to make a difference at the margins, we'll see. But you know if you're if you're any of the not Trump candidates, you got to think every little bit helps. So I uh, want to move on to to another sort of a single digit candidacy, uh, and that's Vivek Ramaswamy, who this week 
uh, really went after Ron DeSantis uh, in a pretty aggressive way. He actually did a an interview with Politico uh, the other day where he said that uh, that beef isn't personal. Uh, but it seems to be, I mean, it's mostly a, a Twitter-based thing. Um, I called Vivek a liar on Twitter, so he unfollowed me, uh, which I find to be a, a pretty low bar um, <laughs> in terms of in terms of unfollowing me. But uh, but he did lie. He went on national TV and he said that uh, Ron DeSantis had had signed a hate crime, hate speech bill uh, at the behest of a donor. Um, uh, in and uh, he's speaking to an, a bill that was designed to uh, battle anti-Semitism uh, in Florida. Uh you know, I don't know why, you know, anti-Semitism and, and donor interests just somehow that always has to go together when it comes to certain people. Um, but uh, he I, I don't know if you've actually read the bill or read what it did, but this was in response to uh, a number of of leaflets that had been dropped into the homes of Jewish people in uh, in Florida that were very anti-Semitic. And then someone uh, had the bright idea to go and start projecting Kanye was right about the Jews on uh, various buildings, uh, including on the stadium during the Florida Georgia game. Uh, this prompted uh, the legislature to basically up the penalties for uh, a number of different things, but mostly for uh, distributing things on private property that were uh, that were deemed to be harassment and that kind of thing, and obviously uh, to projecting. Uh, images and uh, language uh, that was that was deemed harassing uh, on buildings, uh, both public and private, without permission of of the owners or the institution. Uh, from my perspective, that's just a straight up property rights bill. Um, doesn't you know you can you can say that uh, that you agree with Kanye all you want in your own home and in the street, and you know you can yell it when you're walking around, but uh, you can't put an image that says that on and project it on somebody's house uh, or on a stadium. Uh, and, uh, and that from my perspective, as someone who is a very pro free speech person uh, is, is not something that in any way ruffles my, my feathers. Uh, but Vivek uh, doubled down on this and uh, got into it with a lot of people online about it. And there's this general view coalescing that he's just kind of a stocking horse uh, for Trump, that he's basically just doing all the arguments against DeSantis uh, that Trump seems to be unwilling to touch, uh, that, you know, Trump kind of wants to stick to hitting him on Social Security and and Medicare and border issues and uh, God knows what on COVID, uh, and that he's going to sort of leave things like this uh, to someone like Vivek. I'm curious as to both of your perspectives on this. I, I met, I've met Vivek once. I've interviewed him a couple of times. Uh, I thought that this was kind of a revealing moment about him. Uh, John, I don't know if you have any take on that. I, I don't know why he's running for president. I mean, I think that's my take. Um, you know, if you want somebody who's going to be talking about woke stuff, right, which has been so much of of Ramaswamy's sort of run up into prominence, the Wall Street Journal, you know, columns, the the book, you know, the appearances on Fox News. But if that's your thing, uh, going back to what we were talking about last week with tr you know Trumpism, do you want Diet Coke or real Coke? You know, Ron DeSantis is the guy that has sort of patented the opposition to woke kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, it's the point he was making. You know, I, I would probably be more inclined to agree with what the the Florida legislature did as far as not letting people harass others on their own private property. Um, you know, if, if 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 Ramaswamy wants to make a difference, then he should drop down and run for. Senate against Sherrod Brown. 
yeah. uh, where, you know, where his enormous resources, the ability to self-fund um, in Ohio, uh, you know, if you want to change the direction of the country, having another Senate seat in a winnable state makes a lot more sense than doing whatever it is he's doing right now. He's never going to get 50% of the vote to, you know, get the nomination. I don't think he's ever going to get out of single digits. Uh, I, I could be wrong, but this field is shaping up as Trump, DeSantis, maybe one other, not Ron, not Don, but it ain't going to be him. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that there is some uh, some belief that that Ohio uh, Senate seat was something that he maybe wanted to run for. Um, but the assumption was that he was being you know crowded out by by you know previous agreements uh, in terms of you know which candidate the the NRSC would necessarily like there. Um, I don't know how true that is. That's totally hearsay, but it's uh, but it's something that I've heard. Uh, Dan, do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, well, I agree with you that it's more telling about Vivek than it is about uh, Robert Vivek. Vivek, Vivek, he will correct you if you get it wrong Vivek, on air. <laughs> than, than it is about um, you know anything to do with the the bill and it you know and look, he, he, I, I think it's become a very common feature of of public life generally and certainly electoral politics at high levels that you know individuals are looking at these races as branding opportunities and and platforms for their for their personal uh growth and um ambitions rather than as certainly any opportunity of public service i mean that's sort of a truism at this point so i mean it tells us a little bit more about what he's up to there but on on the other hand you know what we saw happen in 2016 where all the other not trumps ended up sort of turning on each other i mean desantis is going to face that you know in droves in this Mm -hmm. race so it's, it's it's good i guess that it's starting early and from somebody who probably isn't going to be the the next to last man standing because you know before you know before we know it we're going to be talking about all those other guys i mean christy did a little bit but everyone is going to have to go after desantis if they want to be the guy Mm -hmm. you know the last man standing is as john has put it so i guess in that sense you know the sooner the better if you're a, a in the desantis camp you know sharpen up uh, your defenses and um, and get used to it because a lot more of it's coming. The Tim Scott appearance on the View got a lot of attention uh, this past week. I, I don't think that it deserves uh, all that much attention. I'm glad that he went on there just to respond directly. Though I wish he had gone on on a day that Joey Behar was on because she actually said kind of the worst stuff uh, about him. You know, I look at Tim Scott as we sort of discussed last time as as being uh, kind of a guy stuck in amber, and I heard those comments echoed by. Uh, the great insight of Matt Gates uh, the other day, uh, which made me actually doubt them and made me question whether my analysis was off. Um, but what was your thought in terms of either of you on uh, on the uh, Scott appearance? Because it it just I understand the power of, of sort of having someone who's willing to walk into those uh, shows and make the case for themselves. At the same time, you're talking about a show that is basically viewed by something between you know seventy five and eighty percent Democrat. It's yeah. like it's not going to turn you into the nominee. It's some it's something for Fox and for us to talk about as being like, isn't it good that you did that thing? But I can't think that there's a single person who watched that who changed their mind about Republicans being evil, horrible racists like they hear from Sonny Hostin, the most racist person on television every single weekday. I, You know, I think that's right. But we have to separate and you sort of hinted at it. We have to separate sort of 
whether we think on the merits as a matter of substance, it, it was effective as a, I don't know, as an attempt at persuasion. And it certainly wasn't. I think there's no argument there. But there is a sense in which, you know, primary voters and not just on the Republican side, but sort of people who have begun over the last 10 years or so, it predates Trump, it was certainly accelerated by him, but begun over the last 10, 15 years or so to see politics as a combat contact sport and want to see people go into lib spaces and own them. You know, it's the, mm -hmm. it's a very productive and very successful business model for a lot of people. Um, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, debate me coward with facts and logic or, um, you know, people running for president, this is a, this is a entertaining and I'm just being honest here, entertaining and, and sort of viscerally satisfying, sport uh for a lot of people and so ladies I think and gentlemen the view will be hosting ben shapiro for the following month <laughs> yeah. so, i mean can you imagine the rating you know and i actually i i i, I have i use i would joy watch behar. that i would watch that <laughs> of course i i use joy behar as a stand-in for a kind of i uh, frankly i mean just idiot you know coastal politics that's kind of uncurious an inch deep, superficial, full of just sort of the broadest platitudes and, you know, you know, irritable mental gestures in the place of arguments. And so I certainly don't think much of her or most of her co-hosts, but um, but I understand why he did it. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, John, unless you have a thought on that, I was going to ask you about Mike Pence. Um the thing I guess my, my, my only yeah, thought just, you know, and, and I think it's sort of a bigger question of what presidential races are right now is, and I think the world of Tim Scott, and I think that, you know, this, this race is better for having him in it. And I think the country is better for having him in the Senate and what he represents and what he's able to articulate. And I think that, yeah, he's not as angry as people want, but I think that the, his performance on the view showed that I think there's more of a, you know, that you, you can still be tough and not be angry at the same time, or, you know, willing to stand, you know, serve his ground, which he did. But, you know, how much at this point are presidential races really just kind of a glorified, you know, version of being an influencer and creating content? And even if that's not a great space to influence voters, you know, every, everyone saw those video clips, right? Whether it was on social media or wherever, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a stage to perform on. And it's, it's not about, you know, I think it's, it really ends up being a question of how much persuasion matters in politics versus how much it's sort of base servicing, Um and you know, I, I would suspect to some degree that probably informed why they approached it the way they did. One thing that I think, just to just to follow on that point a little bit, one thing that I think we really need to assess at this point is kind of what are the avenues, what are the places where we have the opportunity to persuade. You know, with with Scott's appearance, you know, one of the things that he does have the benefit of on that show is that the segments are a little longer; they keep a guest around a little longer. You know, they did cut him off multiple times with a commercial break, right? When he was in the middle of kind of rolling to a really good point. Um, I don't think that was accidental for even a second. But I also think that, like, you, you get more time on air. Uh, that gives you more opportunity to persuade. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I, I just think it's so interesting how, you know, RFK has had this kind of, you know, enormous support where he's getting on nothing except for, you know, other than Fox, he's basically exclusively doing podcasts. Yeah, that's and, what I was going to say. Yeah, podcasts. and it's it's kind of like we've moved to this point now where the podcast space is actually kind of where you want to go to persuade. Uh, and 
especially I would argue like the podcast space that is a little less serious. Um, you know, um, I'm not saying that uh, all the candidates need to go on hot ones, but it, you know, it might not hurt. <laughs> that guy's a great interviewer. I mean, he mesmerizes those guests. He really they're is like good. All eat, they're literally and figuratively eating out of the palm of his hand. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's right on the podcast, you know, and it's also like in, in the best way possible, not the, not the snowflake way. It's a safe space, right? Like you hit it on the head when, when the stakes aren't, Hey, this is a platform that's watched by my ideological cohort and they expect me to tow the line right uh, you know and and so what which the view has become you know it when it's not a, a, a space like that and there's a little bit more room for hey we kind of don't know what the bleep we're, we're talking about we're just you know we we smoked a joint before we hit record and <laughs> you know we're here to you know make some make some jokes and maybe talk a little philosophy if if, if the mood strikes us i think there is more room for interesting and weird and and not rote um you know, preset things to happen in, in, in that sort of space. I will also say, and I hate to give the guy credit, hate, because I really dislike him. I think he's a hack comedian and a bad TV host. But Bill Maher, Bill Maher has become an interesting place yeah. just because he's not, he has, he's allowed to center, uh, you know, against the move that his ideological cohort has taken over the last 10 years. And that makes him just sort of by default one of the more interesting spaces you can go to persuade. Can I just make a, make a slight uh, addition to that? It's kind of interesting that both in the case of Bill Maher and Joe Rogan, they're they're midwit comedians. Absolutely, <laughs> like, like, exactly. Like they're, bo they're both like yeah. like they shouldn't be headlining Boomer anything. Bait comedians. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's it's like you're not. But but they're just interesting enough, and they're they're interested enough uh, to sort of inquire and and think outside the box. Uh, it's just kind of interesting that they both are not like I, I would never buy tickets to see them perform. The next obviously. great, the next great political commentator in this country, Carrot Top. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Mike Pence, someone who definitely should go on hot ones. I could not ask for any other candidate to be more perfect to go on odd ones and, and deal with that uh he has launched his campaign with a uh, a beautifully retro uh uh serif fonted uh logo have you seen this logo gentlemen oh i haven't let I me haven't. let me let me hit fire up the old google yeah, engine throw it in the chat <laughs> oh oh my oh my gosh it's uh it, it really does i mean let's see it, it captures uh what am i feeling here it 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 captures a nice 1987 kind of vibe when I'm looking at it. I don't know if you feel the same way, but it, it just it speaks to me on that kind of level. Um, you know, Gary Hart for president. This is, this says very much. You know, uh, if you if you put something else underneath Mike Pence, it would be like, oh no, that's that's actually a you know above average uh, campaign for regional county supervisor from District Eight. So it's it's just oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> There's a throwback. There's definitely a a throwback there. I mean, I would be very surprised. It's if also it's also kind of Buffalo Bills colors versus like the normal you know like uh, bolder red and blue. I'm just uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but. It's um, like a lady cigarette brand. It's kind of the vibe I'm getting, <laughs> you know, from the typeface. Yeah, you think perfect. it comes in the one hundreds or maybe a menthol? Yeah, it's a Virginia. <laughs> it's Virginia Slim for president. Mike, Mike Pence menthol sounds like a, a jewel pod that would you know get some traction. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. <laughs> so 
he has announced that he's running for president. I, uh, we all knew that this was coming. He's been working up to it in a very traditional way, despite the fact that his polling numbers have remained in the absolute bucket. You can go back and look. I think it's, um, maybe it's Nate Cohn, maybe it's somebody else. I can't remember. There's somebody who's just fond of retweeting the, the real clear politics or, or the, um, uh, polling average of Mike Pence's popularity among Republicans. Uh, and essentially, you know, uh, the, the 2020 election happens and he's coasting along just fine. And then January 6th happens and he falls into a pit and he never really recovers from that. He leaned into that in his announcement, uh, which surprised me because I thought he might save that for later. Uh, but he said that, uh, you know, Donald Trump, uh, you know, put him in a position of having to choose uh, between uh, Trump and the Constitution and that he would choose the Constitution every time. Um, from my perspective, I think actually even more than Christie, uh, Pence is going to be an interesting debate stage guy. And I do think that he will get there because I think that there's just this latent uh, evangelical Christian base, you know, George W. Bush voter who really, you know, wants a a clean cut guy who they don't have to worry about on the on the moral side uh, to be in leadership in America. And I think that, you know, in, in the person of Pence, those people will find someone who really does satisfy them. And they also are probably the people who care the least about winning. Uh, yeah, and so, you know, from my perspective, that makes him an interesting dynamic. And I don't know what will happen when he and Trump eventually are on the stage together, assuming that that moment occurs. And I do think it will. I'm curious, you know, John, do you have a perspective on Pence that, you know, just in in his his approach to this, uh, do you think that his presence will will in some ways annoy or infuriate Trump? Or is he more likely to be just kind of dismissive and and try and try to dodge around any kind of because obviously the moderators are going to bring that up in terms of, you know, hey, you uh, you kind of tried to say this that this guy should be you know hung by the neck <laughs> instead because he because he didn't want to put you back into office. Uh, what do you have to say about that? Look, I think that you know seeing what Trump has been like for the last uh, you know seven years he's been or eight years he's been in our living room as a you know candidate and as president. I think it's totally possible that he does the Jack Nicholson code red thing and says damn right and I would do it again. Um, you know, I, I think. Look, I think Mike Pence, by all accounts, is a is a really good guy, and I think that he's been a you know a strong conservative, uh, and has been at the vanguard of that you know that movement for a long time. But I think the movement changed kind of underneath his feet, and I don't think that his style. Um, I, I think he's going to be a less dynamic Tim Scott. Um, yeah. And you know, if if you if you like Mike Pence, you should love Tim Scott. I think that you know Pence is probably past his national sell by date. Um, you know, does he become sort of the guy that everyone sort of beats on early? That's the, uh, you know, the guy that that had had major chops at some point and you know was a prominent figure, but is you know doesn't really have a a, a huge natural constituency, uh, and you know sort of the you know going back to what you're saying about you know having uh having Pence do the the Joe Rogan thing. I mean, I can't help but think of you know that he's kind of like the sort of the Ted Lasso candidate and in this campaign and, you know, you might root for him and, you know, he's the, he's the great guy, but like everyone loves Roy Kent or, you know, or Jamie Tart or what have you. Um, and I, I just don't think where that 
where he is ideologically, his issue set relative to, say, DeSantis um, or his style relative to Trump or others, I don't know that it's got a, a natural home. Um, you know, and again, I, I've never seen it from Pence in the past that he's going to come out throwing haymakers. And I don't think his rhetorical style is really aligned to that. Um but we'll see, right? It's going to, I think it's going to be, you know, every bit as awkward for him, right? That you're on the same stage as somebody who, you know, wished ill on you in a very real way. And, you know, I think Pence absolutely did the the right thing and uh, I'm glad he did. And I think that, you know, took a, a, you know, a certain amount of bravery and courage when it couldn't have been easy. But I, I think that that was his last service for the Republic. And, you know, this is just kind of, um, you know, again, I, I don't know that he's that different than Christie at this point. Yeah, I'll just say I'll just say that I think I, I said kind of what I thought of him last week. I think he, he would have been an, a great candidate, you know, in the era where his uh, logo was designed, when his logo was designed, right? And the sort of he's an '80s, early '90s kind of a guy, and uh, de- obviously a decent guy, and 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 just in full earnestness. I mean, I've made the argument for years, basically to whoever will listen, that. Biden or I mean, I guess sort of better yet, the next Republican president or the next president who who doesn't run against Trump would do could do nothing, you know, better, you know, for the country than giving Pence the congressional, you know, the presidential medal of freedom. Right. For for his actions on that day, if you really believe that, you know, if you really believe that, you know, we we were on the precipice of something, and we can argue about if you believe the CNN case. Yeah. Basically, if you, it, it, well, it's very funny you say that, right? If you believe the CNN case, right, then you should all the more be in favor of a big bipartisan hug to Mike Pence, and we can debate, you know, uh, you know how how serious we were, you know, you know to that sort of event mm-hmm. that day. But it's funny you say CNN because the last time I made this case on Twitter, uh, someone, a very famous dude from CNN crept into my DMs and said, Dan, you're absolutely right. It's interesting, it's interesting you say that. Yeah. I didn't realize you and Don Lemon had that kind of relationship, Dan. But, uh... You know, we'll, we'll just we'll just we'll just call them Jake T. No, that's too obvious. No. <laughs> um so uh one last thing. It was Anthony Bourdain, ladies it and gentlemen. It was Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> His <Okay>. last great <laughs> the late great pour one out. Um the Last thing to uh, discuss, gentlemen, before we uh, take our uh, take our leave, uh, we cannot afford to end this uh, edition of Thunderdome without talking about the great, great underdog who has entered uh, the ring, uh, the North Dakota governor, Doug Burgum, who until approximately three months ago, uh, I would not be able to have told you his name or picked him out of a lineup has uh, announced as well that he is running for president. A a few stats about Doug Burgum. Uh, He was born in a very small town uh, in North Dakota. He started a a software business uh, in uh, in Fargo that he then sold eventually to Microsoft uh, for an enormous amount of money. Uh, It mostly focused on accounting software and the like. Uh, He worked as a chimney sweep briefly. and uh, has been a philanthropist and that kind of thing, ran for office uh, in 2016 to become the governor and has been, of course, uh, incredibly uh, easily reelected in a very red state. Uh, he is now running for president. Doug Burgum's chances, uh, obviously, they just are, you know, 
something that we can't even begin to calculate. Uh, I mean, literally dozens of people have heard of this man uh, you know, and, the, they're, the, and they're all very excited. <laughs> the Bergam campaign reminds me of a little book called the puppy who lost his way. Right. That's my, <laughs> that's my, that's my take. I'm going to have to plead the, the nib high football rules, Billy Madison defense. On this one because I've already, I've already exhausted the things I, I know about the guy or can say. Well, the, the only thing that I will just point out is that what, what I was surprised to learn when I started to look at him is, I kind of assumed he might be one of these people who's like, you know, especially, you know, from those Western states, culturally more libertarian and less, you know, conservative. And maybe they they think that there's like some lane there or something like that in like a John Huntsman kind of fashion. I'm going to be about energy and the economy. And I'm not going to be about these other things. Uh, but he's signed a six week ban and he's, you know, been like really aggressive on a lot of like trans policy stuff and things like that. So he's actually pretty much a conventional conservative except when it comes to i think a couple of issues related to climate and the things like that but there you know his answer is more energy and 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 that type of thing john doug burgum his chances i think doug mentum will be real i think it's completely <laughs> possible that he doubles his base of support within the first few days um, <laughs> yeah look he seems like it like you know you, you kind of read a little bit about him you know it seems like he's a guy that you know, if there was an open Senate seat in North Dakota, you'd be stoked to have him as your candidate, right? A guy that's going to be a solid, normal, conservative Republican that's going to be able to self-fund, that's got an amazing life story. Um, but again, in this era of candidate as content creator, that doesn't seem to be him. You know, I, I think what's, you know, what's interesting, again, looking at who did and didn't run, is if you had to pick somebody from one of the big square states who might have run this time, it would have been, you know, his neighbor to the south. And, you know, she's sitting it out. So yeah. uh, anyone who went to Vegas and had uh, Doug Burgum declaring and, and Christy Nome sitting it out, um, you know, the, is, is sitting there as a, is a very rich uh, man or woman tonight. <laughs> well, uh, I, I just have to say uh, in closing, you know, when it comes to making those kinds of bets, uh, the fine, our fine friends over at Barstool are currently, currently defending themselves in front of the uh, the uh, uh, betting council or whatever their name is uh, in Massachusetts, uh, defending uh, the existence on their app of Big Cat's Can't Lose Parlay, which, of course, it turned out lost overwhelmingly you know, time and time again. Uh, and they are having to prove uh, before that court uh, that no reasonable person would think that the Can't Lose Parlay was something that could not lose. <laughs> so so there's there's plenty of right people there out the there. Name. Making making ridiculous bets. Well, I mean, you know, I I bet on it a couple of times. I thought it couldn't lose. <laughs> so anyway, uh, gentlemen, it's been a, a fine edition of Thunderdome. I think that we can all agree uh, that uh, with Doug Burgum's addition to this race, it's a real who's that of politics that's going on in front of us. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I look forward to continuing to follow it with you both uh, in the weeks to come. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Ben. Thank you.